Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. If you would open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, we'll be reading there in just a moment. Um, there's a famous Italian shoemaker named Leonardo Ferragamo. Ferragamo. He must not be that famous. I don't know who he is. But anyway, just kidding. He said that the best present he ever received was when he was six, year, six years old. As a result for good grades at school, His father taught him how to make shoes. Ferragimo's father taught him just as he had been taught by his father. Ferragamo called that experience my best present. Leonardo was taught how to work. The best present an older saint can give to a younger saint is to teach him how to work for God. Working opens up doors to to all the blessings that God has to offer. So let's read our text in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10-12 says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This evening I'm going to preach a sermon entitled Spiritual Capitalism. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place tonight. God, we ask, Lord, that you would help me this evening, God, that your Holy Spirit would deliver the words that you have for these people, God, that you would open the hearts and the minds of every person in this place, Father, that you would help every person in this place, including myself, God, that that it would not be by my talents, my abilities, or my intellect, God, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that your message is delivered this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So spiritual capitalism, inevitably I'm going to talk a lot about actual capitalism as a parallel. But bear in mind we are speaking more of this spiritual economy Oftentimes, as Christians, we tend to have, especially right after we get saved for the first time or second time, a minimum wage mentality. And we're living in a generation that has not paid the price for the privileges and the blessings that we experience. And that's just true. I mean, many people my age have not been to war. Um, Some people have, but ultimately, these wars that people my age have been in have no bearing on our freedom, not to take anything away from what the people who serve in my generation have done. I'm incredibly grateful for the men who serve. But the freedom and the blessings that we experience today was earned a while ago. And this is not a combination of just militarily speaking, but uh, of the faith as well. America was founded as basically a, a desire to escape religious persecution. So for us here today, we are reaping the blessings of what people before us have done. And you can say the same thing about us in this fellowship as well. The, the 40 plus years that have gone into building this worldwide fellowship, 
quite honestly, we had nothing to do with when it was happening. So as an American Christian, we get to be a citizen of the greatest nation in the world, adopted into the greatest kingdom in the world, the kingdom of God. But just because this is who we are, this is our identity, it doesn't mean that we can just claim all the blessing and all the privileges without having to get some things done ourselves. I remember a time uh, hearing a friend of mine, his son, try to use the pastor card to get out of doing something. This was before I was a pastor. Um, my kids haven't done that yet. I, I expect the time will come. But he, he pulled the pastor card. I'm the pastor's son. You know, to try to get out of doing something he didn't want to do. And the truth is, if we're not careful, we can have a mentality that we don't have to do anything to earn the blessings and the privileges that are in our lives. Now, as a disclaimer, I want to say, you don't have to work for God's salvation and God's love. That's not what I'm saying. That was paid for on the cross. But you do have to work to see all that God wants to do in our lives and in this world. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. See, minimum wage in the real world is, not our, is, is our starting point. It's not our portion. Ruslan said this, Minimum wage was never intended as a standard to raise a family, but it was intended for people who are just entering the workforce. And you hear in politics today all the time that you know, minimum wage is unfair. Minimum wage, how, how can people live off of that? It's, it's immoral, this, that, or the other thing. And that's, quite honestly, it's a socialist view. And we shouldn't be fighting for higher minimum wage. We should be engaged in opportunities we have to get farther away from where we started. And this is true in the spiritual world too. It's not right in very many ways to take away from those who do work and give it to those who don't. And it's not even about helping because most people, especially Christians, are willing to help people in need. But there's a line that you can cross when you're taking from hard workers and giving it to busybodies, and that line crosses into immorality. And the same is true for all of these facts in a spiritual sense. Let's think about the parable of the ten talents in Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 24 Jesus tells this parable, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to the other one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he, ran, uh, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent into the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, doesn't the man with one talent sound familiar to the injustice and inequality that we hear that people talk about today? You know, oh, the man's just out to get me. This parable shows us an especially important truth. That it doesn't matter where you start. One started with five, one started two, and one started with one. But if you work hard for the master and you get his approval, there's a multiplication factor. He says, enter into the joy of your master. This is the blessing that every Christian is seeking to enter. But it is connected to our stewardship and our work ethic. Notice the master gives one man five and another man two, but the other man doubles it and the other man doubles it. At the end of the day, one of them made the master five more coins and the other one made the master two more coins, but his response is the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. I have entrusted you over little and now you will be entrusted with much. It's not about what we see or what we do, but it's about the work ethic that we put into what God gives us. And are we willing to improve with what little we think we have or what much we think we have? So next I want to talk about spiritual capitalism. The principle of capitalism is actually biblical in many ways. The first point to prove that is the fact that CNN hates it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because economics is an area where we spend much of our lives every day, we should evaluate it from a biblical perspective. Everything that we do on a regular basis, that we consume on a regular basis, big decisions we have to make, we should always challenge it against the Bible. Living in a country that was built on capitalism, we should do the same thing. The definition of capitalism is this, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. So in other words, as an individual, you have what you have and you can work with it and you can gain on your own accord and the government has nothing to do with it. So work hard, make something, out of yourself. And that's what capitalism can be, and that's what our nation is built on. Now the state's getting more and more involved these days, but that's the definition of capitalism. So the two main things that make this, uh, that make this biblical is correct ownership and correct profit. The one who worked for it and took risks is the majority owner. See, capitalism isn't just a, oh, you go out there and make a ton of money. People have to put skin in the game. People have to put things on the line. They have to take risks. And when they have the gain, that's their gain. There is a proper ratio of profit that affects livelihood. So in other words, the man who works is the man who eats. And God is the rewarder in spiritual capitalism. Isn't it amazing that those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will not only go to heaven, but will be rewarded for the things that they've done for Christ. 
This enables believers not to be lazy, but to work hard for the Master who rewards hard work. Yes, we're all saved, we all have salvation, but there's rewards in heaven that we can earn that'll make it that much sweeter. Philippians 3, 12-14 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize, of, uh, for the prize and upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, and the truth is we shouldn't ignore The truth that we shouldn't ignore is that believers aren't exempt from judgment on earth. Yes, we're saved. We have our relationship with Jesus Christ, but the decisions we make still have consequences. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also, and I also trust is well known in your consciences. See, we will all stand before God someday. It says it right there. And we will be judged for our actions, whether we're saved or not. Now, as Christians, being saved, we have security in that salvation. We know that ultimately our reward is heaven. But what we do on earth, what we do in this life, is what determines the rewards we get in heaven. Not to say there's going to be anybody in a bad mood in heaven because they didn't work hard enough on earth. It's going to be amazing, no matter what. The... The thief who died on the cross next to Jesus was literally saved for like two, like two minutes and then died. <laughs> He's still living it up in heaven, I guarantee you. Throughout the Bible, we see the very principles of capitalism. Many times in scriptures, it refers to crowns that we can earn. These are heavenly crowns, crowns that resemble the work that we've done on earth. There are five crowns mentioned in the Bible, and these five crowns will be presented as a reward to believers when they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And laborers are few. This is, an, this is another principle of capitalism, especially today. Jesus said in Luke 10, 2-3, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Evangelism has everything to do with hard and sacrificial work. We have to invest unequal parts, I'm sorry, unequal starting points, but the same access to the same God who gives opportunities to all of us. Oftentimes before Usually before bed, my daughter Leah will ask, Daddy, can you pray for me to help me fall asleep? Or maybe something else, her foot hurts or her eyes itchy or whatever. And I will, of course, always pray with her. But then I always remind her and I'll tell her, listen, the God you pray to is the same God I pray to. And he hears your prayers. 
you know, trying to encourage her and realize, yes, I'm your dad, and yes, I'm a pastor, and yes, you're a little kid, but at the end of the day, we have the same God, and the, God, the same God who lends the same ear to each and every one of us. The God who creates opportunities for each and every one of us. And the same thing can be said for the parable of the ten talents. Every, all three of those men had different starting points. Unequal starting points, unequal amounts of money. And they each did accordingly to their abilities. The man who got five turned it into five more. The man who got two turned it into two more. And the man who had one buried it. And then there's discipleship. Whoever worked harder gets to experience more. We see this um, in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. And think about the Mount of Transfiguration. This is when Jesus goes up on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah appear. They have this you know, amazing heavenly conversation. But who's with them? It's Peter, James, and John. It's not all 12 of the disciples. This isn't Jesus playing favorites. This isn't drawing straws or drawing names out of a hat. God said, hey guys, come with me. And these are the disciples. And you read through the, the Gospels, these are probably the three most mentioned disciples, Peter, James, and John, with probably a couple other names you can throw in there. When it comes to how hard you work, you will experience more in the kingdom of God. I've learned this to be true myself as well. The more I do for God, the more I see Him move in my circumstances. The more I see healings, the more I see breakthrough, the more I see... Um, financial victory, the more I see these things, the more work I put into God's kingdom. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says this, um, And he said to you all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what the investment looks like. This is what the discipleship, discipleship in Jesus Christ looks like. It has everything to do with submission and work and learning and positioning under Christ. And then, of course, there's intimacy with God. The more you seek God, the more you receive from Him. I'm not talking about monetary value. I'm talking about relational value. I'm talking about knowing and understanding our Maker, feeling His presence in your lives. The more we seek Him, the more we open up our lives to get Him involved. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him, if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. There it is right there. The level you pursue God is the level that you know God. Do you pursue Him with all your heart and all your soul? Because this scripture right here promises us that we will find Him. We should find joy in working and serving for God. When we find ourselves working and serving for God and it becoming a burden, we're missing something. And oftentimes, from my experience, it's the intimacy that I just spoke about with God. We should desire to get to work in God's kingdom. There's a story about some grandchildren who asked their grandmother what she planned to do when she gets to heaven. And she replied, Well, I've worked hard all my life. So when I get to heaven, I plan to sit in a rocking chair for 10,000 years. 
then I'll start rocking just a little bit. You see, Revelation indicates otherwise. John wrote in Revelations 22.3, His servants shall serve him. This is speaking of our life in heaven. We will work in heaven. Except we won't get tired. And it will be directly for God. And if we did get tired, otherwise heaven probably would become hell. But we were made to work. God made us to work in His kingdom one way or another. God created Adam and Eve and He created the world. And you read the story, before sin entered Adam and Eve's lives, God created man to take care of the land, to, to take care of the, the harvest fields. This takes work. This takes effort. So we must be working rather than being a busybody. So last I want to talk about overcoming a busybody spirit. God's people are not um, God's people are not to sit with folded hands waiting for their transfer to heaven. So so long as they remain on earth there is work to do, battles to fight and suffering to endure. Believers are not pictured in the New Testament as shrinking flowers too good to work waiting to be plucked and carried into heaven. They are slaves of Christ who must be busy at work. They are soldiers of Christ who stand in the fray as he battles against the forces of evil. That's a quote. I don't know who said it. So what is a busy body? Apart from the obvious issue of laziness, our scripture speaks about a person who is a busy body. And the definition of a busy body is this. A person who is too interested in things that do not involve them. Otherwise known as nosy. In our scripture, a busybody is illustrated as someone who is working, but not in the kingdom. It can also mean a person who is working in the kingdom in a carnal way for a carnal reason. And you see this way too much these days as many churches, many preachers start off in God's kingdom and they start off with good intentions to do God's will and then eventually before you know it they're selling special anointed oil that will heal you and this is for a carnal reason it's for their own financial gain E. Draper says this are we jabbering busybodies so taken up with the Christian work that we have no time for the Christ whose work it is no time for him in the morning no time for him at night so what is God's work? Well, ultimately, it's evangelism. Put plainly, His church reaching the lost. This is what Christ charged His disciples to do right before ascending into heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what we should be doing until, the last, until our last breath or until Jesus comes back. And we must do God's work God's way. Here's what Paul had to say about building God's way. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, For no one can lay the foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day it will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
For if the work that, ha- that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we see here in contrast, in, in, uh, it says the foundation is Christ. This is, this is your life or your ministry, your church or all three. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And if you start off with that, you're good. And then it goes on, what are you building on the foundation? Because like we said before, your salvation is the starting point. What are you building on that foundation with? What materials are you using? It says gold, silver, precious stones. Okay, those all sound pretty good. And then you have wood, hay, and straw. And then it says in the day. This is speaking of of the day of judgment. It says these things will be tested by fire. Well, it's pretty obvious to me which ones are going to last and which ones are not. Gold, silver, and precious stones are refined by fire. Wood, hay, and straw get burnt up by fire. Gold, silver, and precious stones are the materials that Solomon used to build God's temple. And here, we see, are we going to build with what Solomon used on the foundation of Christ? Or are we going to build things that will not last through the fire, through wood, with wood, hay, and straw? The work that will survive is the work that's done God's way. Work that Christians do in Christ-like faith and obedience will survive and be rewarded. Work that is done in the power of the flesh, which is the wood, the hay, and the straw, will not. Paul says we must do good to see God's blessings. Galatians 6, 9-10 through 10 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Good is defined by God, not by society. There's many people that will tell you what's good and what's not, and they're wrong. You can read the scriptures, you can find what's good. You can find what's wholesome. You can find what's right. And you can find what is sin. You can find what is an abomination. And this says we must not grow weary in doing good. That we must do good to other people. And then we will reap in due season. Anthony Evans says this, There's no such thing as Christians who do not work. It's a, it's a work of service. You can't build a home without work. And you can't build a church without work. If we're willing to put our hands to the plow without looking back, doing God's work, God's way, we can build something on the foundation of Christ that will not burn in the fire. We can build with precious stone and gold and silver and we can do our work God's way. Can I have every head bowed and every You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.